RCR with Chantal Baker, Reality Check Radio. Welcome back to Reality Check Radio. You're listening to The Chantal Baker Show. Could this possibly be the last democratic election in New Zealand's history, the one coming up in October? Is it possible that we may never see a free and democratic election again? Now, I believe this. I believe that this could be the last properly democratic election we have. And the reason I say that is because of the new document from the Department of Internal Affairs that they released yesterday. At two o'clock, it was a consultation document and it was proposing changes to how media and social media is regulated here in New Zealand. It's a drastically radical radical proposal and what it would do would mean that you would not be allowed to make Facebook posts, Instagram posts, posts on Twitter, posts on Rumble. Any major channels would be so heavily regulated by an unelected regulatory system, by an unelected regulator, that you couldn't fight it. You can't do anything about it. This person, this individual along with their board would make up the rules They would get to change them on you and they would impose huge fines on social media companies and different media companies if they didn't comply. Why does this affect an election? Well, because in this document, and I've read through it and you all should as well, you can read it at the Department of Internal Affairs website, which is dia.govt.nz. And in this proposal, they talk about a whole lot of radical leftist concepts, as usual, And one of them talks about someone, how they identify might be considered harmful, but they talk about any racist content. Now, what is something that's been called racist to talk about recently here in New Zealand? Co-governance. So could it be that this regulator could decide that before an election, there's a vast amount of topics that you're not allowed to talk about that could be deemed harmful or upset somebody, such as transgender transitions in children, co-governance when it comes to this apparently uh, bicultural, no longer multicultural country that we're living in. We, We don't know. You'll never know. We don't get to be part of that discussion. How much would that impact what political parties can and can't run on, what they can and can't say, what their policies can look like? It would eradicate freedom of speech. It would eradicate people like me who talk freely online about topics we consider to be incredibly important to the public. It could mean that if you, say, oppose pharmaceutical companies, they can say that's harmful content, which we know they've done in the past. So therefore, no one would be allowed to have an opinion ever again. This is really scary stuff. This could genuinely be the last free election that we ever see where political parties can campaign on the topics that actually matter to New Zealanders. I know quite a few of you know my father. Um, He's a great man. He's really, he's fantastic. And many, many of you know that, but um, I'll, I'll get into him in just a section. If you want to read that full consultation document, head to the dia.govt.nz. You can make a submission against what they're wanting to do up until I believe it's the end of July. So do it. (laughs) I really recommend you do it. Um, We know that this government doesn't like to listen to the people. 
But we've also seen that massive, massive protest where you really get stuck in can have a huge impact on what this government decides to do. So don't give up your voice. Don't give up your soul because we can fight for what is right and what is decent in this country. Now, I, as you've probably guessed over the last few years, if you've heard me at all, I'm pretty passionate about politics. And I didn't used to be. I didn't used to care about it at all. I used to like going out, hanging out with my friends, having a cocktail, buying clothes and enjoying art. That was my, that was my lifestyle. I loved it. I used to enjoy housing, investments, all of that type of thing. That was really my life. And then I started seeing what was happening in New Zealand. And I realized that if you don't change the face of politics, our country is gone. It's absolutely gone. But the people who have the most impact when it comes to politics isn't the politicians. It's not the different political parties. It's the media and how they frame what the political parties want. As we know, our radical leftist media at the moment frames Labour pretty much as our sole saviours when it comes to social issues. They're the ones with the bleeding heart, the ones that care, the ones that want to make a difference for women and children and families. I mean, we ignore all statistics because they've made everything exponentially worse, but apparently data doesn't matter. We're living in some kind of alternative reality where it's all about made-up feelings and people's real feelings like biological women's um, no longer matter to this government or to the media that they pay. But what can change it? What can actually make a difference? Uh, I know there's a lot of discussion around media parties, sorry, political parties in New Zealand at the moment. People want all types of choices, all different ideas. Some people want to work together. Other people think it's a bad idea. It's hard to know who to trust. I'm thinking of the likes of Winston Peters because to me, it's just dangerous, dangerous territory to go back to someone with a vast history and career politics that's made incredibly bad decisions for our country. But that's just my personal opinion. Everybody has theirs. Tomorrow morning, my father, Leighton Baker, will be announcing his political move. I'm not going to be in any political party, <laughs> not running as a candidate anyway. Um, I really prefer the media space, and I think that what I do is a lot more positive and powerful coming from a media aspect. But he'll be announcing his next move politically uh, on his Facebook page, Leighton Baker. And if you want to follow him, if you want to find out what that'll be, I really suggest you jump on his Facebook sometime tomorrow afternoon and you'll be able to see his announcement. Um, his announcement will upset some people. It'll make others really excited. But just know that whatever he has decided is genuinely what he fundamentally knows to be the best decision. And I say that because I've sat in on a lot of meetings. I've had a lot of conversations with people. I know a lot of these people in different leadership areas far better than the general public um, just because I've seen them in different ways to most people. I've been involved in conversations that other people wouldn't have been. And I really, really, really back what my father is going to decide. It's the best choice. It's the most logical choice. Uh, there's multiple reasons for that, and I'll go into them in the next show because he will have announced it by then and it would make sense. Um, but if you want to see a change in this country, regardless of who you're voting for, if it's National Labour Act, Winston, <laughs> the Greens, the Māori Party, if it's the Outdoors and well, the Freedoms Party, if it's democracy... If you really fundamentally believe in what they're saying, back them 100%. 
because this is a do or die election. Give it your all, volunteer as much as you can, do as many signs as you can, because if you don't want to see your country fall to pieces, whatever that looks like to you, this is the last election to really hunt for that. You've got, what, four or five months to make an impact in your country forever? It's not very long. It's not very long at all. And I've been through multiple elections. I've seen what it's like working at the back end. I've seen what it's like as a volunteer. I know it's tough. It can take a lot of hours. It can be disheartening if you don't get anywhere. But man, everyone has got a shot. Everyone has a shot. This election, this election is the one to win. It's the one to be the most hungry for. It's the one to make the most impact from. But it requires a fundamental shift away from simply politics to a larger movement a larger team effort. So whatever your political party is, I just say go all in because it's going to be the fight of your life this year. I'm looking forward to watching it, being a part of it, seeing what happens. It's going to be fascinating. But today I wanted to bring you a very interesting man. I love him dearly. He's wonderful. This is Lingo Louis. Now, Lingo Louis speaks many, many languages. I can't even remember how many it is, but we talk about that in our, in our podcast slash interview. He's a fascinating character and he lived in China. He lived where the Uyghur Muslims are. Oh, sorry, he visited there. I think he was one of the last visitors there before they closed that entire area down to the public. He's seen what censorship is like. He's seen what socialism going into communism is like. He's seen what it's like to be restricted from saying and doing what you really think or what you really feel. He's seen the impact that these dystopian, ideologically driven people have. And it doesn't take many of them to have a huge ripple effect and change their country. And they've changed it far, far, far to the worst. But he's seen it all. And so I wanted to speak with him. And we actually filmed this a wee while ago. But he's a brilliant mind that gets to meet many people from all around the world and really deeply connect with them. And I think you'll find what he has to say about censorship, about the media, about our world. Really fascinating. So, here, without any more delay, is Lingo Louis. How many languages do you speak? Lingo Louis, everyone knows that you're, <laughs> you're phenomenal. Yeah. Like we go out for coffee and, and you just you can, you can seem to just be able to speak everything. So how many actually is it? So I'd say five that are good, reading and writing. Um, another four are just decent okay. And then another maybe... 15 or so I, I can't remember I just just I just speak to them and have a good general conversation basic stuff and phrases with them what just, were some of the easiest ones to pick up were there some that are way faster than others definitely um, because I grew up understanding Spanish because it was always spoken to me but I never replied mm -hmm. back so uh, the Latin languages like I learned uh, I even put a video on my on my channel how to learn Portuguese in 30 days so it's oh, like wow. I pretty much started like the 50 meter versus everyone was started as you know at the zero meter uh, 100 meter race because you already know Italian or in, in, in Spanish, it's like you're pretty much cheating. So, mm. yeah, yeah. So it was a lot easier in French as well. I understand a lot of it, can speak a bit, but yeah. yeah. It, it all depends on your base language. So if you, you know, you obviously if you're Chinese first, then it's easier to enter into even any tonal language. They can even, even Igbo, which comes from Nigeria. So like a lot of the West Africans are good at uh, Chinese because they actually use tones within their language, even though it's different languages altogether. Wow. But the same regulation in that language actually is utilized so they can, you know, it's easier to start. 
versus someone like us, we're like, oh, like, you know, you can say ma, 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 ma. And it's like four different ways of saying ma, you know, like just called your mum a, a horse or, or a marijuana plant or a screwdriver, you know, like wow. using the same word. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Man, yeah. that's crazy. Mm. What, what one do you think you use the most outside of English? Uh, oh, good question. First time you asked that. Uh, I'd say Spanish. Yeah, just oh. on this side of the word, it's uh, sorry, world, it's uh, mostly Spanish because we have a lot of Argentinian and Chileans in particular that are living here in New Zealand. Um, and then my family in general, you know, yeah. Because what's of, your like ethnic, ethnic background? Like, is it quite blended? Oh, it's it's hilarious. I've got family in every continent. Um, oh, and, that's and, handy for travel. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I was actually free Airbnb, go on. Totally, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I was meant to do a, um, like a travel blog with the family through all these countries and stuff so my dad's actually from mexico he remarried a colombian lady so there's the mm. americas and then you have my mother which is dutch spanish so the european side which um intermarried uh, a nigerian a cousin of my mum is nigerian and then we have uh uh who else oh yeah and then there's my dad's sisters who married brothers not twins real real buzzy wow. japanese um, and they and one of their sons married uh, a Taiwanese, and then my granddad, who was the Dutch German, married uh, a Thai Thai lady, and then my grandmother, who passed away, which was Spanish, she remarried to a Fijian. I feel like your family could single-handedly <laughs> <laughs> repopulate the earth. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it, it's for me, it's always been normal to hear and have all these ethnicities, you know, like, yeah, it's, it's really, it's really interesting. That's probably helped a lot when it comes to learning the new languages as well and being able to just flow between them as if you already kind of understand the different dialects and things that people use. Yeah. Just really accepting and open for it too. Cause I guess it's like anything, if you just see as a, as a hobby versus a chore, you know, there's a big difference. Like, Oh, I've got to learn now. You know, like during lockdown, I was doing like 10, even 12 hours a day, just learning and wow. speaking to people, uh, people and just yeah, studying through and, that's just, so cool. Yeah, so yeah. it's a real deep passion that you have. Yeah, it's always yeah. been the yeah the thing for me. Lingo Louis. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Are there some yeah. tips that mm. you use that that help you learn a lot faster? Like, are there any specific things, or do you just think that some people have that natural ability? Um, well, I think the biggest thing for me is uh, you know language learning versus language acquisition. There's a big difference. You know, um, you want to acquire the language. For me, anyway, personally, it's always. Um, starting with the greetings, you know, if you're going to speak to someone, how are you going to speak to them? You know, do you speak that language? You know, hello, how are you? What's your name? Nice to meet you. Where are you from? What do you do? Do you study? Do you work? And that's how you start actually speaking, right? What are you going to start with your lingo and you start learning colors and numbers? Like, oh, I can speak that language, you know, one, two, three, four. You can't, you know, yeah. conversate with that. So it's best to start with actually like the basics, make a foundation. And with that, you start to learn phrases rather than words because, when you translate, you can never translate no matter what language. It's never going to be the same when it comes out, you know. For instance, like in Spanish, when you say, ¿Cuántos años tienes? It's like, how, how many years do you have? So if you say that in English, it's wrong, isn't it? So you have to learn the, the way of words and the grammar structure. So when you say that, how many years do you have? Is that instead, what is your age? Yeah, it's is like, that, yeah. ¿Cuántos años? Like, how many years? Tienes, like, have. How many years have? Mm. And then yeah. the English version would be, how old are you? Yeah. Yeah. Right? Okay. So, yeah, yeah. So, it's, it's, you have to really start thinking that language as well. And then when you know you, you uh, well, I believe when you, when you're done well, is you can actually start dreaming in that language, which is pretty cool. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah. I feel like my dreams are so boring. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's real velzy when you start, you know, dreaming like all these, you know, just different languages. And have you travelled to most of the countries that you can speak? Yeah, like languages that you can speak most yes. of those countries. Yeah, most of them. Yeah, that's Wh- which ones haven't you gone to? Um, so one of my favourites is actually Swahili. So I haven't been to oh, East wow. Africa yet. Um, I've only been to Egypt in terms of African soil. Um, where else? Sorry. Um, oh, there's quite a few. I mean, uh, most most of them have been learnt on the way there. Um, the other ones have just been like online or through friends, for instance. Turkish is another one that I really enjoy. Mm-hmm. Um, I've met a lot of Turkish, in, you know, in Australia and um, a really good friend of mine was here in New Zealand. He's gone back home now. Um, and oh, quite a few. Yeah, Mongolian's another one. Wow. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's really hard. That's really intense. There's a thing you can do called Mongolian horse treks, and basically you get you can either do it just by yourself, or you can go out with a, with a guide and things. Right. But it can be weeks out across all the plains and everything like that. You stay with Mongolian families and the teepees, and wow. you eat traditional food. Yeah, it looked amazing. Just because it's quite rare, you get those deeply authentic experiences mm. where you're actually living with the families. It's not that you're traveling and you're staying in a hotel or mm. anything like that, and it, it's quite dangerous as well. You know, because you are just completely alone for, for a lot of people that travel over there specifically to do that. But yeah. it's always been something where I've watched it and I'm like, actually, that, that's something that I could really, yeah, I, I could go to Mongolia just for that specific experience mm. of fully immersing yourself and getting to understand the land on the back of an animal as opposed to a plane or a motorbike or anything mm. like that. Yeah, yeah, mm. totally. Yeah, that's it's really authentic in that way because yeah, you really you really start to get uh, in depth with the people and you know when you go on these tours or these you stay at these hotels you know people go oh, yeah I've been to Thailand or something and I spent two weeks in the hotel it's like you didn't go out and meet the people or you didn't you didn't eat the street food or you didn't get sick from it or you know what I mean like you got to you got to experience there's all these stories that you create when you do those things right I mean you know each to their own but I'm I'm totally on your vibe where you got to go in there and and really meet those people and, and you get to eat foods you wouldn't see or smells or mm. or sights or um, understanding cultural differences and what, how they do things, you know. And for me, I've been so lucky because of my family and then just growing up in such a multicultural, diverse society here in New Zealand and Australia and I've met them overseas, you know, taking the opportunity going, oh, come to my house one day and, mm. and almost all of them I have. So it's been the best thing ever doing that. I did go to Peru, but I have to admit, I pretty much lived on, because <laughs> they said like if you eat the vegetables and things, it's washed in quite dirty water at the time. They were yeah. having real issues with their waterways. Uh, and right. so I lived on pear water, which is, right. it's really cheap, pretty much juice. <laughs> <laughs> and I pretty much had that, crackers and donuts, which is the worst diet you could possibly imagine. Yeah, right. But I was so worried about getting sick. And then I went and ate some of their proper food right before we went to Machu Picchu. Oh, yeah. Violently ill. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I can imagine. But, uh-huh. you know, but at least we were out, you were out in the street and you saw them roasting guinea pig and yeah. you know like you did get to really experience that culture and I, I found it I felt so guilty when I was traveling up to Machu Picchu and you're on this nice tour bus driving up to the mountain because we climbed the um, Juana Picchu opposite but you're on this nice tour bus and you're driving past these ladies with a child on their back leading a goat into this little mud house and you're just thinking, wow, we come from such different worlds mm. and now we'll have no idea the kind of experiences that we have in our life and we'll never understand the the beauty of living simply because yeah. we don't access that. Yeah, totally. But I just remember feeling this deep sense of guilt 
you know, that some people mm. in the world lived so differently totally. to others. And I was like, wow, this just feels wrong. Yeah. <laughs> I kind of wanted to hop off the hop off the bus. I was like, <laughs> yeah, it was a bizarre, bizarre feeling, but an amazing experience to have at the same time. Totally. Have you visited Peru? I uh, know. No. no oh, I'm, yeah. I'd love it. Yeah, I'm dying to. But you've yeah. gone to so many pl- more places than I have, so I can't <laughs> even say that. <laughs> where, yeah. are the, where are the places that you've lived? Because obviously there's a difference between just travel and then actually living. Sure. Yeah. So um lived in a long time, almost, almost a decade in Australia and then, uh, China and Italy. Wow. Yeah, How long yeah, were you in Italy yeah. for? Italy was altogether pretty much a year. Yeah. Um, yeah, that was that was pretty interesting. Six months in Rome. Oh yeah, wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then the other the other half um in Sicily. Oh, amazing. Yeah, Are you yeah. quite a big architecture person as well? Yeah, yeah. I love that how it just vastly changes throughout country to country. It's just amazing. Yeah. What place did you go to and it was completely different to what you had imagined? Oh, Good question. Um, Hungary, just oh. Budapest. It was only a tra- um, transit. It wasn't even a day. It was like I think fifteen hours or something. But just the architecture there, the Gothic style. Um, pretty sure it's like the biggest parliament building in the world. It's oh. like it's massive. It's just like, and it's just yeah, it's so powerful the way it stands on, on the riverbank and yeah, just just the atmosphere and the way the whole city works and yeah, the whole architecture is insane. It's really beautiful. What was it like? I know you were in, how many years were you in China? Uh, about 20 months. So just over a year and a half. China yeah. has always fascinated me. Yeah. I think f- how I view it is people completely underestimate what the Chinese are capable of. Yeah. We are very naive and I don't know if people are intentionally naive mm. where they just want the benefits so they look past the negatives or if they just think actually they're so powerful and so strategic that it doesn't matter what we do, they're going to get us anyway, so might as well join them. Yeah. How, how was China for you? Wow. <laughs> I know, loaded question. We'll yeah, go into the nitty-gritty, yeah, don't worry. Yeah, it's, um, uh, you know, like in total honesty, it's the best love-hate relationship ever because it's just so beautiful, you know, in terms of the history, the culture, the people and the food, you know. But when it came to just the CCP and politics, it just, you know, like it's just always like a – it's like a bee just singing in your ear. Like it's it's cool to sit there, but you know it can sting you at any time. And so you can't just be yourself there. Mm. I mean, as a tourist and all that's cool, but then if you want to talk about politics and stuff, it's just something you couldn't talk about there. You couldn't openly just be like, oh, what do you think about what they're doing? Like people can just get their heads chopped off saying the wrong thing, you know? Like how is it that if you put a picture of Winnie the Pooh and Xi Jinping together, that you can get, you can get like beheaded or you can go to jail for it like it's just a photo you haven't even said anything yet so it's quite interesting how the contrast you can have that in the same world where you're just eating food and you know you can go to work or go study and do whatever every day it's buzzy as were your friends aware of how bad Xi Jinping was as a world leader and how the world saw him could they even were you allowed to talk about that with them or is it something that no person would even speak about it was something that um that I learned <laughs> that if they start talking about it, then they're willing to talk about it, you know, versus if they don't bring it up, then they're happy in their own little life. Mm. At that point, I would say maybe only like a third of the country would be like they're not happy with where they're at versus the other two thirds are like, no, nah, everything's sweet, we're fine. But I think the whole table is turned now in the current situation. It's like pretty much more than two thirds of the country is like we we had enough of this. But is it too late? I don't think so. 
I don't think so because they have numbers. They have, I mean, they're the biggest populated country on earth. So if they... We say that, but then we look at what's happening in Shanghai. And Mm. I recently um, interviewed a lady called Elizabeth who's living in Shanghai. And she can speak out because she's not from China. And her husband's not from China. So they're a foreign family. So she's talking out a lot. Um, I'm still worried for her safety. Because I think it doesn't matter even if you're foreign. Like they've left her alone to this point. But that's pretty, it's a pretty big thing to be brave enough to speak out while you're stuck in lockdown in Shanghai. Totally. There's so many videos and her own friends have been through this where they've got friends jumping from buildings. I saw lots of stuff of people hanging around parks and, you know, literally and bodies everywhere. It was pretty horrific. Yeah. What will it take for them to say no? Because they were told, they, they see the CCP going on the streets taking fake photo shoots saying Shanghai is free when the people know they're not. And yeah. yet they've got the numbers. No one does anything. Yeah, it's... It's tough because, yeah, once they got a chokehold on, on, on a city or a place, they've really got it, you know, like they're mm. just coming full force. There's no warning or anything. And um, being such a huge population, I mean, Shanghai is like, what, I think 25 million in total, including just the outskirts of it. It's insane. And, I, yeah, I don't know. But I know that the people that have left, um, they're going to places where, they're more welcome to just having anyone there and, and fighting back. I mean, I'm seeing videos where they've like stampede over the the, the police or military, whoever's trying to, you know, mm-hmm. take them over the health, health officials and whatnot. So it's cool to see. But then, you know, they, they'll have fun and celebrate for two hours and then a whole bunch of army will turn up and probably start shooting them, you know. So it's that's, like... That's the, that's the problem that mm-hmm. I have. And I think when you look at what they're trying to do with other countries when they're trying to disarm the citizens, there's two arguments there where you're like, yes, it's not great if everyone has a gun, but on the same side, it does actually hold a government to account. Yes. And that's why they've been, they haven't been able to do in America lockdowns and things the same for every single city because there's people that have a lot of firearms that are like, don't, don't come near me, don't touch me. And Mm. it's not worth it as a government to go into those kind of areas and try and shut them down. Yeah. So, and and one thing that I worry about, and I know that some people say, oh, the social credit system isn't as bad as other people perceive it. How do you see it? How, what was it like for you? That's why I left. <laughs> That's why I left. There's no way a society can be built on the social credit system, not over my my alive body. There's no way. Like I rather What like, specific things worry you about it? The whole thing together. How it just you you can't even purchase certain food at a supermarket anymore. You can't say what you want online without, you know, um, dropping down your social credit number. You can't live in certain areas. You can't take certain jobs. You can't communicate with certain people. Uh, you can't take a train, bus, or or a plane. It's just, it's just, it just controls every aspect of the way you live, and I think that's totally wrong. Who makes it to the top? Who makes it to having a great credit score? The ones that do everything correctly. You know, the ones that tell on someone else or the ones that they you know eat way healthier or they go to the gym more frequently or they help out and volunteer and certain things because that's the only way you can actually bring your social credit back uh, your uh, social credit score uh, higher up is to actually vol- do uh, voluntary work mm. yeah. so you could hear that and you say well that's not such a bad thing but it's more the implication of if you don't do what the government want or volunteer for who they want then you can get your life completely torn apart well that's it and how many hours do you need to actually build that reputation up and how many points does it give you? You know, what is your time worth versus how many points are you going to get back up again? And the concept of having to tell on someone doing something you perceive as wrong to then gain points, 
Sounds a bit Hitlery. Yeah, well, totally. And seeing it from my own eyes, you know, the, a guy used his cousin's ID for the uh, train station in uh, the Shanghai Shanghai railway station. I think it was Hongqiao. And um, I remember we were going through, and it was like a it was like a Friday peak hour. So there's literally like hundreds of thousands of people. Like for an hour, it's ridiculous. And and literally within seconds, using this ID and the facial recognition, they picked him up and they're like, that's not your ID. You've used someone else's and you're actually not allowed to travel through here. He's like, no, 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 it's me. I swear, I swear. And the guy does a whistle and like like three other cops come out here and they start bashing him and they just throw him into this, uh, into like they have these little like, similar to that little like little corner where they can fit in people or whatever the office is like completely tinted so you don't know what's in there. So they might have held him captive and then thrown him in jail or whatever later on, who knows. Wow. And I've seen the same thing happen in, in an airport, you know, like the guy used someone else's ID again and because that ID card they have actually shows even your ethnicity. So if you're a Han Chinese or if you're a Uyghur or because there's 54 ethnics there. And so if you're a different ethnic, then they'll treat you differently or, you know, segregate you and that sort of thing. It's pretty crazy. People have been talking about the World Economic Forum and what they want with the rollout. Other world leaders have been saying how China's zero COVID has been wonderful. And then to hear that they are championing segregation through the different ethnicities. Yeah. I mean, I've heard it with the Uyghurs, but I haven't heard it with anyone else. So that's really interesting that depending on exactly which one you are. Mm. Wow. Because yeah. I know they have a lot of influence over the United Nations and the, and the World Economic Forum as well, just yeah. based off purely money yeah. and what they're willing to control. Well, funny enough, it started when the um, the UN signed the agreement for June 23 back in 2015. And that was the same year when they implemented the social credit system in China. Mm. And the same year they started actually um, attacking the uh, Uyghur, Uyghur people in, in Xinjiang, which is actually East Turkestan. Yeah. So they were a country, but then China took it over. Wow. Yeah. And yeah. Is this why world leaders are wanting to emulate that model? Because if they could do that worldwide, if exactly. you could have every single country following a system where they're all, it's all using facial recognition and they can't actually move outside of their boundaries... That's complete control, complete power. Well, pretty much. I mean, the Rockefellers even started negotiations with China back in 1863. Ooh. We're talking like years ago, you know, but then, then they really kicked it in in 1917 when they brought uh, Peking University, the medical university. And so it's like, you know, the Chinese in particular actually started masking up when they were sick like years ago, you know, something that's already implemented there. And so... Oh, I've lost train of thought, sorry. No, you were talking about um, how um, the Rockefellers yes, bought Peking University. That's and, right, yeah. yeah. And then so in 1987, um, that's when Deng Xiaoping signed over to the World Trade um, and that's when the Rockefellers, J.P. Morgan, Rothschilds, I think the Roofs as well, they jumped in there and, and really uh, expanded the economic uh, realm that China is today and just grew into the, the monster it is and so... They wanted to see how they could formulate this perfect spectrum and, and use that agenda in, in such a country with diversity. Because people just think, oh, China, you know, Han Chinese. But like I said, there's 54 ethnics, you know, I bet people can even name two. <laughs> yeah. did, you, did you ever see what was happening with the Uyghurs when you were over there? Am I saying that right? I feel like I'm butchering. Uyghur, and that's in their language, Uyghur. Okay, Weird. no. Yeah, yeah, it's all right. That's all right. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, I'm going to butcher We're good. We're good. We're good. There you go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay, cool. Cool. Yeah, it's um, like I went there and that was probably the craziest thing in my life. When like, did you go? I went in 2019 just before it closed up. So I was wow. actually one of the last people as a foreign to actually go in there. They closed it up in 2020. Um, so for and, people at home, it's it's almost it's a whole separate piece of land. Yeah, that's yeah, been closed off. Yeah, it's massive. It it has about twenty percent of China's minerals, and it has forty percent of China's coal. 
Um, oh. It's like has I think they even has oil there too. It's just insane. It's massive. I'm pretty sure it's bigger than Europe. It's like it is huge. It is so big and vast, and it has a lot of desert. A lot of it's quite dry. And yeah, traveling between places was insane. You had to fly. Like I was flying. So I flew from Shanghai to Urumqi, which is the capital now. And that was a six hour direct flight. Six nice. hours. And that's within the same country. And that's still like ages away from the border. It's probably like another three hour flight to the border. So then when we're talking about the Chinese standing up and then you've got that huge piece of land with that many people in it and they're still not standing up. Yeah, it's it's insane. It's just numbers, isn't it? Well, that's it. They, because they started implementing them hard on the concentration camps. I mean, there's, you know, reports and from what I can gather from people there, they're, they reckon 3 million plus in concentration camps. And they're at the point now where they're in that concentration camp six days a week, including their children are separated in another mm. kindergarten and they can only see their children one day a week oh, at limited horrific. hours. Yeah. Wow. Like, who are they to just separate their children for that long? So what, the government can have your children for six days a week, but you can only see them for one day a week? There's something wrong there. Well, they're just wanting to groom them, aren't they? Yeah, well, that's it. Yeah. Wow, yeah, it's insane. Horrific. Yeah. And yeah. just being followed the whole time was crazy. We had three guys in particular, just anywhere we went, to restaurant, to any mall or anything, there was always security. You had to go and take off your jacket and they'll, they'll you know, you go for an x-ray and they have like the the scanner to make sure you've got nothing metal on you. And Why? Even, oh, just because apparently the extreme extremism of terrorism, you know, because they had uh, problems back in the early 90s of uh, riots of just, you know, trying to take over the country and they just went berserk and they're just like, no, like this is our country and then China stepped in and pretty much did what the what they did in Tiananmen, uh, you know, Square Massacre. And they just like, just who knows the true numbers of how many people they killed and dismantled and... So, I mean, back in, I think it was in 1945, around that sort of part, they were about like 82% Uyghur. And then in, in around 2008, I think, it dropped down to about 42. So it's like, it's like just slowly into marriage and even forcing some people, even paying them to marry them. Well, I know so that, rape's a big thing in there as well. Yeah. With the, with the raping of the prisoners, which I just think is horrific. Yeah. There's a thing in particular called the tiger chair, and that's where they torture, they rape, they beat people to death it's insane uh the stories that i heard from there right? like for instance there's a uh, what used to be the capital called kashgar and um, there's the old city versus the new city and it looked like just looking at the old city it was like this place looked like it was like from a movie scene like it was just all blowing up and just like all dismantled and it's just like what happened here you know and you go to the new city right next to it and you're just like well this is really buzzy like what is that you know and Finally, because there's so many cameras there like in every single angle. I mean, there's like 700 million cameras alone just in China. And that was back in 2015. So who knows how many cameras are there now. But, you know, finally I got to a point where I could speak to someone and, you know, and ask if she could speak Chinese because some don't. They just speak their, their language. And she said, you know, what are you doing here? Go away. And, you know, you're going to get hurt and blah, blah. And I said, is it true? Like what what happened to the city? Did it get blown up or something? And they said, no, well, we had to move from there because they said, you know, it was not safe to live there anymore. We have to live in in this in this town, mm-hmm. and it's it's completely killed their way of living too. Because they actually live on rooftops and stuff like that. Because it gets quite hot, so during oh, the night nice. they actually sleep on the rooftop on these certain beds and stuff like that. But they've eliminated the whole way of of life and obviously the way that they talk and things like that. And she said, like, even um, she had she had people like family members that were they were they were not willing to move. Beheaded them on the street. Like, if you're not moving, we're gonna, we'll, we'll slice you off. Like, that's it. Oh Who's next? God. Like, if you're not going to move here, we'll kill you. Like, it's just simple. Or jail, or whatever in between. Like, whatever that felt like. It disgusts me how nobody 
puts pressure on China and yeah. the United Nations about the human rights abuses. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's, it's torture. It's, They're torturing millions literally. and they get away with it. Yeah. And no one cares. And right. then there's a war in Ukraine and the whole world thinks that's terrible. And I'm like, yes, also China. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. What about the Tibetans? What about Hong Kong? What about the Taiwanese? Yeah. Free Xinjiang, free Tibet, free Hong Kong, free Taiwan. Yeah. Yeah, totally. I'm not sure if people will ever speak out about China. I've been reading a really good book called yeah. The Digital Silk Road and in the beginning of it, and it goes through how China has digitally started to take over the world. Mm. And part of it was even how they did the, how they did all the fiber optic cables through the sea. Yeah. So originally it was a lot of American companies actually owned a lot of those cables. So they owned the front to end communication lines and then China started putting them through the sea and then China did it cheaper. So then they're offering another resource, but it's a lot cheaper than their competitors. And so a lot of people started jumping over into the Chinese system. Right. But the problem is they're obviously controlling all of the flow of data and the flow of information. Right. And in Mumbai, there was a clash between China and India and and, and, and because of part of the Himalayas that they were competing over. Yeah. Chinese hackers then shut down in Mumbai's entire electricity grid. Wow. The whole city. That's insane. Eh? Millions and millions and millions of people, trains crashed, all your lighting systems for your cars, hospitals, out, everything, the whole lot. 90% of the infrastructure is Chinese. They use vision, like Hick vision cameras. I don't know if you've heard about these. Yeah, the, the Hick visions, yeah, which yeah. is 42%, I think, owned by the CCP. <laughs> Love and, it. Yeah, I know, right? And, but we've got them here in New Zealand. We've so does Australians. Yeah. Yes, so I just read, and this could be something good to bring up, actually, if yeah. anyone wants to bring this up on screen. Uh, Darwin has recently become, well, a city in Darwin's become a smart city. Right. And they've got cameras, Hick vision, yeah. love it, yeah. everywhere. And they're yeah. trialing out a smart city where they can see if someone's gone outside of certain fence zones. Right. And they just want to watch everything that people do. And yeah. that just seemed bizarre to me that we're allowing Chinese countries, like Chinese equipment. Totally. In these cities, and they control that data. Yeah, yeah. Well, um, the CCP can remotely access it. They've, they haven't yeah. denied it, so they haven't accepted it, but they haven't denied it with official reports asking them. And it's like, why are you having these cameras? I mean, I don't know about here, but in Australia, they have them at military bases, uh, <laughs> banks. They have them at schools. They have them in government, other government buildings. It's like, how are you allowing those eyes inside? You know, such places that shouldn't show everything, and yet, like. But don't they get it? It's just insane. Like, why why allow them to see what's going on? What if I put my camera there? They're, they're, yeah. They're not going to put my scam security cameras in China, are they? <laughs> <laughs> I know? can't imagine they'd be stoked about it. No, no, yeah. definitely not. <laughs> but, but it's the control of all of that information. Mm. And they've said, I mean, I didn't realize they hacked into America's, um, their official government official database stole the identities of 20 million government officials in america wow that's wow i didn't know insane. that that's crazy yeah how can they do that yeah. and yet america's like darn china yeah. you know they're so worried about russia but to me mm. i don't see russia anywhere near the power player china no, is no no russia's just sitting there sipping the coffee while china and america's just at it you know russia's like pretty much almost got to, nothing got to do with all all of it there used to be a country where they would take something that you'd made and you'd made it well and they'd make a really crappy version of it right yeah, yeah. but now the quality is starting to get better mm. i know in, in italy they're actually starting to buy up a lot of the fabric um the fabric manufacturers and all of the design stores so it can say made in italy 
but it's actually oh my gosh don't even get me started but this is top brands you know these are the huge brands people pay thousands and thousands and thousands for a handbag but it's actually chinese owned in italy made in italy but exactly but, but then they're starting to buy up the actual quality as well because if they can marry the quality with the effectiveness and with the cheap pricing They've got the monopoly, and what can people do? Well, yeah, they already do because they own. There's pretty much a, a city just run by them. It's called Prato, and it's in the northwest. And it's, um, I think, about eighty percent of people or inhabitants that that are there. They're all Chinese, and so they've been imported. A lot of them uh, are being trafficked. 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 Yeah, well, traffic there. We've got sex, sex slaves, um, everything, human trafficking, and there's people up to you know reported 18, 20 hours a day working there. And this is in Italy. And this is in Italy, and they're oh. all Chinese, and they bring the the, um, the materials with them, like you say, made in Italy, mm. and they're all. You know all these brands like Louis Vuitton and 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 uh, I don't know heaps of you know Versace and and all these other brands and all the Italian brands you can think of that you pay top dollar like you say but it's all made by Chinese with Chinese materials so yeah it's made in Italy but who made it yeah. <laughs> and what is it made from you know it's insane it's what they do with construction as well I know they did it over in Fiji where they say to Fiji, let's we will we'll help fund this huge construction project of the new port that you need and this big like big um, convention centre to help bring a whole lot of people in and have con- have big um, conventions and things here. Yeah. So the Fiji agrees. Like this sounds great, mm. awesome. Why would we not? Yeah. Sign the agreements. They bring in Chinese workers. They bring in food from China. They bring in supplies. Yeah. And all that money that is made goes straight back into China. Well, that's it. And then Fiji is in debt. So then they're mm. like, cool, we know that you guys are in debt to us. Can we have this port mm. for that? And But this is just how they go around things. I'm, I'm, that could be Solomon Islands instead of Fiji. So I'll just check that one. Mm. But I just find that the way that they can do things, it's intelligent. Yeah, yeah. And they, then we are so silly. We're handing over our farms left, right and center and yeah. all of the DNA to our cows, everything. Right. Yeah, it's just like they have their own little world like they – you know, they come to places like anywhere, you know, the Europe, Australia, New Zealand and whatnot. And that's exactly what they do. They buy the land or the business. And then all of that actually goes sent back, like not a dime or or, or, a, or a liter or a milliliter or one piece of the product is actually given to that country. It's all gone back to China. It's insane. And so they're just trading within themselves. And I think the biggest part of that is actually the language barrier because people don't realize they're not part of that society or see it or understand it that they don't know. So that's why I actually went there was to see and understand what was going on because it's a whole different story when you you know you see something in the outskirts, but when you speak and read and write the language, then you really get in deep in depth of it. You know. What was something that really shocked you when you lived there? Um, yeah, Xinjiang was the biggest one. Just getting followed the whole time, and um, just the stories I heard. Um, it was just unreal. Like it's all true about how far how far it goes. I mean, there's even on a day to day basis, depending on how these prisoners were treated, there'll be like you know eight of them, and there'll be only four beds. And only if um, four of them knew the Xi Jinping Yulu, uh, which are like the regulations or rules of what Xi Jinping, you know, how you should live. If they knew them properly, then they would get the bed versus the other guys would sleep on the floor. Mm. You know, and if they talked bad about all that, they'll forcibly eat, made them eat pork, or you know, mm. and just insane. And then and, Tibet, and they're Muslim as well. And so they're Muslim, yeah. Mm. They're trying to eradicate that. I mean, they used get this. They actually used the Christchurch mosque shooting here as an example to amp up the security in, in their mosques in China. Oh. How's that? How is wow. that? Yeah, that's that's a fact. That's yeah, it's crazy. I couldn't believe it. I was like, wow, that is that is insane. And I mean, I'll never forget when I go to Idkar Mosque, which is the big, biggest mosque there in Kashgar, in the main city, and you walk through the entrance, and there's like 
12 cameras, literally, like just like watching like on you. Is it because you're not allowed to go there unless you're a tourist? Um, no, you can go there. Um, okay. It's just like they, they're not allowed to pray. They can't, you know, put up on the, the speaker like their, their prayers or anything like that. They can't grow beards. If you grow a beard, you can get up to six years imprisonment. Even the woman can't wear the burqa. I've heard, you know, women getting two, three years in jail. Um, they just can't practice religion. But yet I went all the way to Yunnan, which is in the south, right on the border of Vietnam, and yet the Buddhas are going hard. You can hear the prayers all day and they're walking around and it's all good. Eh? And it's just like, wow, like you go to the Northwest, Muslims can't practice any Muslim. You don't have to pray certain times and certain things, but then you go down the south and the Buddhas are singing, dancing all day long and doing the thing. You're just like, whoa, that's that's pretty extreme. So when it comes to religious freedom, there is, but only for the Buddhists because even the Christians there, that's like it's actually like a CCP Christian version. Like they've mm. actually changed the whole Bible into their own version and... Yeah, it's, it's insane. Some A little fact that people don't know is the Christians are the most persecuted people group in the world. Mm, that's and insane. no one talks about it. No. Because you're not allowed to be a Christian. No. You're allowed to be a Muslim, anything else. Mm. In modern society, I find anyway, especially online, yeah. the minute anything about Christianity comes up, everyone has a fit. Yeah. But it's funny because when you look at the stats, they actually are the most persecuted people group. Wow. No one's allowed to talk about it though. Wow. Bizarre, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. But it's just, I, I find that down to media manipulation mm. because they show you what they want to show you constantly. Sure. Just like we all jump on Ukraine, no one yeah. cares about the CCP. Yeah. Doesn't matter what they do, doesn't yeah. matter that everyone's monitored. Mm. Did you see and hear much about human organ harvesting? Yeah, that was that was a part of it in, in Xinjiang or East Turkestan, uh, Tibet. And the Falun Gong practitioners. Mm. Yeah. I mean, even the Vatican approved of it. So it's like, what is, why does, what's the Vatican got to do with approving, you know, live August harvesting? It's because they're buying it from them. I mean, on a, on a weekly basis, they'll earn up to 60 or $100 million just in a week just from live August, um, organ wow. harvesting. It's insane. The money that is, 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 is just, yeah, absurd. Absolutely it's absurd. Huge. Yeah. So they're, they're persecuted and used um, just for that and also uh, free slave labor. I mean, a lot of the brands that like, um, I'm calling out Nike, uh, H&M, Ikea, uh, who else? Uh, cotton on. They've used the cotton from Xinjiang and just got it for free, basically. Cultivated for free. And then all they have to do is pay for shipping, basically. Wow. Yeah. So instead of like, if they're being really bad, they'll take them out of these re-educational camps or the concentration camps and throw them into a working order. That's insane. Because there's been a lot of talk about how they get prisoners, put people in prison and then just organ harvest them. Yeah. And now if you go to China and you need a kidney or you need a new lung, mm. you can get one in a week. Yeah. So people travel over there when they are in really bad health because yeah. it's so easy. But it's not like they've got a big list of people who just have a free lung available. Right. They just go into the prison, take someone. How is that not top of the list of human rights abuses exactly. in the United Nations? Yeah. And, and why are those people in particular too? Why not other prisoners? Why yeah. why the Falun Gong, people from East Turkestan and uh, Tibetans? So I find it quite strange. You know, it's 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 insane. And like, yeah, why would why would another country or an entity approve of that too? That's it's just unbelievable. Is that something people could talk about at all? Or again, is it too? Um, yeah, I've this I've I've talked to some people um, here in New Zealand. They've witnessed it, or they know family members that have gone through that. So, um, yeah, it's it's pretty crazy. They're, they're out there. Well, I know there was an uproar with a surgeon in Australia because they send them over to Australia and to first world countries to learn how to be great surgeons. Mm-hmm. And then they actually send them back to China. They basically pay for the education, send them back to China, only to have them do organ harvesting. 
And one Chinese guy, they sent him back and they said to him, you've got to go to this prison and do this. And when he realized what he was doing, he freaked out, but they make you. So he had to do it and then he managed to get out. Mm. But even the concept of that, that Australia knows what these people are coming over for. They've been told about it. They've been made aware and they still take on board all of these students because of the money. Yeah. Well, cash cows, they call them, don't they? Mm. They just go in there, they pay... What is it? I think education is like the third biggest income for the government in Australia. So mm. it makes sense not to, you know what I mean? Like, of course they want them in there and there's, you know, we're, we're talking the, I don't know how what the numbers are there, but between maybe tens of thousands, there's a lot of them. I lived mm. in Melbourne for six years and the Chinese there is insane, like huge community, you yeah, know? Massive, yeah, massive, yeah. And and um, I'm going to give a shout out to Drew Pavlov. Uh, he's he's running Senate for Queensland and he's been talking about it openly. Oh, cool, um, you Drew know, Pavlov. Yeah, okay, yeah, awesome. yeah, shout out to you, brother. Hopefully you get to see <laughs> this, yeah. Um, China Uncensored is another one uh, in America. They're amazing what they've been doing. They've been doing it for years. Um, and he, he talks about it, you know, and he's like, you know, why, why these people, they're just sellouts. And he just like, he's, he's not, a, not afraid. He's been arrested multiple times. And, and one time was literally, well, it was pretty raw. It was like F Xi Jinping and that people just lost it. He Wait, went was that the one holding the sign? Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, that guy. Yeah, I yeah, yeah. I thought that yeah, was yeah. gold. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I thought that was so good. Because yeah, he's it's got just, me motivated. <laughs> yeah, honestly, I thought the same. I'm like, I yeah, think we yeah, should do something yeah, yeah, here. I think we should do something here in New Zealand. Yeah, I'll write it in Chinese even. <laughs> yeah, well, I, I, I've got some ideas. We'll, we'll say that off camera, but I've yeah, got some yeah, ideas yeah. for that as well. I've, yeah. I think we can do some cool stuff there. Yeah, yeah. Because it's that whole awareness of how much they protect Xi Jinping. Yeah when he is such a terrible dude, yeah, yeah. like the amount of things that he's done to his people and he continues to do and how mm. much they cover up. And that's what I find interesting. Melbourne's an interesting one because even when it came to all the lockdowns, they very much followed a similar route to China. Yeah. I, Cause I used to live in Melbourne too. And my wow. friends were sending me, they, you know, some of my friends, it surprised me who went to the protest and who didn't actually. I was like, Oh yeah. <laughs> some really gorgeous model friends I have that were in the protest and they were like, yeah. I was like, okay, go on. This is amazing. <laughs> But they had drones follow them in the park. Wow. So if you were, I think you were allowed to walk through, but if you sat for certain periods of time, you weren't allowed to like stand and eat. You had to sit and eat and just all these stupid rules. Insane. Eh? Insane rules. And they would just hammer people. Yeah. I remember that pregnant lady put out a post on her Facebook saying, if anyone wants to come along, here's where people are meeting up against the mandates tomorrow. They came and dragged her out of her house pregnant wow. in front of her little kids. That's insane. In eh? Melbourne. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you can't get more communist than that, can you? And then people like to think they're better than China. And I'm going, these premiers, like Dan Andrews, he Mm. was shocking to his people. Yeah. Absolute devil. And I think within the two-year period, they almost were in lockdown for a year. I think it was like just over 10 months worth. It's like the most most lockdown place on earth in terms of uh, the COVID restrictions and lockdowns. Like that's insane. And... You know, if you want to talk about science, it wasn't even close to the amount of cases or deaths or whatever per capita versus other mm. places that were getting it really bad, apparently. You know, it's just like, wow, that's crazy. Well, state to state, they weren't allowed to travel. Mm. So you weren't allowed to go from like Victoria over to New South Wales, any of that. But they would ship police over if people were having a protest. Yeah, right. So then if you've got COVID in one state and the only people that are allowed to go over there are police, <laughs> how does that work? Yeah. You know, well, like, it's the uniform it just protects them from yeah, you know. oh my gosh. but the other one's grabbing and touching people so you're allowed yeah. to grab and touch someone yeah. and have this massive altercation share mm. blood with someone effectively yeah. jump over to another state where you could easily infect other people in the matter of a day or two and that's okay yeah. but people are not allowed to travel and go and, and go, get back to their children 
There were people that had left their children with their grandparents, gone over to visit a family member or a friend, couldn't get back home to their children. That is crazy. They had to hold their children up at the state lines to be able to see their kids for months and months and months and months. And you look at that, why would you want to live in that kind of world? Mm -hmm. Who are the people that are saying that that is a positive thing for unity in our world and that's actually better for the health of people? That's just craziness. Pretty much. I feel like... You know, seeing all the different tactics and the tyranny in so many different countries, and I'm so lucky to have all the eyes in so many different nations where they've done all these certain things, including, I don't know, anywhere, right? And it's like, it's almost like a game. Whoever does the best job out of doing the most destruction gets the position in the UN. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, that's mm. what it is for me. It it's like, who's, like who's going to get the best seat in the house after doing the, the best job and what they believe and what's what's right for the UN agenda? You know, it's insane. Have you read Klaus Schwab's book? No, I haven't actually, no. There's a paragraph in there, and we'll see if we can bring this up as well, um, if we end up using this part. (laughs) It's a bit controversial. Mm, Yeah. But he says how they want around 500,000 people, and they want around 50% from China and Japan because they've already learned how to be subdued. Right. They're already conditioned to it. Yes. And it makes sense. It's like, of course you want people that are already used to being conditioned. Why Mm. would you not? No. Make it easier for them. Mm. Yeah. I mean, he doesn't, yeah, it's a very interesting book. I really recommend reading it because a lot of people don't realize that he's the one that's the head of the World Economic Forum. Mm. And he's personally sent copies of that book with handwritten notes to our Prime Minister, Jacinda. Right. Which they're currently having the economic war, um, the, economic forum, forum yeah, in um, da- Davos mm, now in Switzerland. Mm, there's yeah. some great people that are reporting that. Yeah. I think Avi Yemeni yeah, and Avi, Rebel shout News. out to you guys. Oh, Rul Rukshan. Great, eh? Yeah, yeah. He gave me a message. He, he hollered oh, at me. He? Yeah, oh, that's yeah. so cool. He's a cool dude. I, yeah. I love his stuff. Yeah. Yeah, they do yeah. such a good job over there, eh? Yeah. Oh, I just think that whole Melbourne community has been really strong yeah. and really tight, fighting back totally. against all of the mandates and things. And yeah. What most people don't realise, I think when they see people protesting, it's a bit much for them. You mm. know, they go, oh, well, you know, I, I disagree. I think the mandates are bad, but oh, we wouldn't go out and protest. No. It's quite a Kiwi mentality and probably mm. is kind of similar to Canada as well. Like yeah. we're very relaxed. We're kind of like, oh, yeah. you know, we're not really rock the boat people. Yeah. But at the same time, what people were doing it for wasn't just about mandates. Mm. The mandates are bad, don't you know, don't get me wrong, I don't agree with them, but sure. it was the problem of where does the mandates take us? Mm. How much further will they go? And you see what happened in Melbourne and then you see what's happening in Shanghai. Yeah. And they're two very close examples, to be honest. Mm. Melbourne, you weren't allowed to leave like leave much of your house, much of your neighbourhood. People weren't allowed to stand and talk in a neighbourhood on a walk. It was crazy. Yeah. A, a, an app notification would pop up. You'd have to take a photo of your house close. Uh, so a photo of you in your house. I mean, that is CCP style. Oh, it is totally. hundred percent. Yeah, in, in Xinjiang when I was there, actually, I remember seeing people go into their houses and they, you know they they live in these units, and to even get in through the gate, you had to use your face as the key. Wow. There's no more. There's no more a code or a key. You use your face to actually get in and open the door, and so they can see if there's someone behind you within that vicinity because there's multiple cameras coming at you. Yeah. And um, it, yeah, like you said, it's a domino effect, really. And you know, how far is that domino going to hit? How many dominoes is it going to go for? You know, and and it's just like you said that the the contrast is not far at all. You know, all of a sudden when when COVID first hit, you know, the whole new the whole world knew about it. You know, mm. China. Oh my gosh, you know, COVID. Oh, this is scary. Blah blah. Now what's happening in Shanghai? No. You haven't seen one report about it, yeah, right. And then, and all of a sudden, Beijing was was done after that. 146 cases, boom. They, you know, they 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 tested over 20 million people. And then who was next? Just last week, Guangzhou, and they're the three major tiers: Bei, Shang, Guang. 
and they're like the three major cities. So if you take them out, it's like you're taking out half the nation. Mm. Yeah. I mean, uh, Shanghai alone is 40% of China's trade. Wow. Yeah. So if you take that down long enough, how long is that going to affect and domino, going back to the domino effect of boats or ships that are waiting to, you know, mm. pick up or drop off containers? I mean, it, just walking at Tauranga, you can see them all just sitting there. And it's just like, imagine really? that's just New Zealand. Imagine like all the other, all the other nations around the world, like just like three months and what it can do. I wonder why they've chosen now to do all their big lockdowns. They would have definitely had cases prior to this. You mm -hmm. can't help it. Yeah. But why now is when they felt the need to drill and drill and drill into it. Mm. When everyone else is starting to ease off and then all of a sudden they hit in, um, I think it's a very real possibility because they've created their digital currency already, the Chinese bank has. Yeah. I think it's a very real possibility that they are trying to further tank the um, international economy mm. to then sweep in with a digital currency yeah. and pick it up again. Yeah. Because that's been something that's been largely talked about in New Zealand and Australia and America is this concept of digital currency. Yes. And it's scary and, and it is scary but I think it's because they want you on the digital identity because then you're tied in. And I know that the World Economic Forum released a big released an article and part of it talked about digital identity and they had in there for your travel tickets, for your social media. Yeah. How does Chinese does that sound? Yeah. They had in it for your um, identification, for voting, for, for access to all your government, mm. for your insurance, for your banking. Who's done that model and who's done it effectively? Yeah. And who's got the money to try and bail people out as well. Right. Mm. Yeah, because it all becomes that one part of the system. It just makes it so much easier to put it all in one place, you know. And, um, yeah, as you said, digital currency. I mean, in China, cash is gone, basically. You know, I've asked my friends, how's cash? I can't remember the last time I've seen a dollar bill. Wow. Or a yuan bill, sorry. You know, where, where is it? They just they haven't seen it for months. It's been like probably six months or longer that they have not seen physical cash anymore. They use Drifrabao or Weixing, which is WeChat or the um, Alipay. And it's either one one of the two. But it's it's even even the Weixing app is like a it's like a WhatsApp, but it, you can pick up your uh, your DD, which is the fake Uber. Um, that's a funny story. Um, your shopping, your movie tickets, your haircut. You can do anything like off that one app. So it's just all in that one source. Yeah. Yeah, it's insane. One source of truth. That's the shopping. one. Eh? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Shout out to Cindy. I'm never going to use her yeah. full name. <laughs> I might do, but not yet. Yeah, I'm still, yeah, yeah, still yeah. a bit bitter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Don't deserve the, the credit. <laughs> oh, I don't even want to honor it. Eh? No, like, no, no. You're uh, a terrible human. I just yeah. want you to know that. <laughs> <laughs> From the bottom of my soul, I mean yeah, it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, me too, me too, me too. Oh, I'm back on that one, yeah, yeah. What was the funny story you were talking about with the bad Uber? Oh, yeah, so like they introduced Uber for about a month in China and um, they just wanted to see the systems and they kicked them out and then they made Didi, oh. which means that younger brother. So <laughs> it's, it's like, amazing. yeah, they just steal, stole the whole thing, like the whole layout, the everything of an app. And so they just made it like a third of the price or half the price mm. of what it normally would be. And they're just like, boom, evolved. And Uber never came back. So, yeah. Wow. Sorry, Uber. Yeah. Sorry, Uber. I think Uber's doing all right, though. Yeah, they're doing all right, They're, they're right, creaming yeah. it onto yeah. everyone else. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. yeah. And then Didi moved on to, I think we have it here in New Zealand now. Because they, they even moved to Mexico, Australia, Brazil. Wow. Um, there so was, I think, undercut everyone. Other, yeah, yeah, classic. yeah. Mm, yeah, classic. <laughs> <laughs> but this is why I, I do respect them at the same time. Mm. I'm like, what you do is so terrible. 
but you're so smart with how you go about it and you're so strategic. Yes. Then I'm kind of like, I understand if you take over the world. Mm. And I mean, I know they own a lot of our farming here. They own a lot of our food supplies. They own a lot of the different supermarkets, everything like that. So I understand why they could easily take it over. And at this point, I'm kind of like, almost credit to you. Like mm. it's a, like you said, the very, very love-hate relationship where I'm mm. like, you've done the work. Exactly. And yeah. we haven't stopped yeah. you. Yeah. And you've exploited people. You've yeah. exploited companies. You've exploited legal loopholes. You've exploited stupid politicians. At this point, it's our own fault. Yeah. And that's what's so frustrating about it. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Because either way, it's like it's like the drug trade, you know. You can take out one cartel or, or, or gang or whatever, but at the end of the day, there's always going to be someone else that's going to replace that. Mm. So they've taken that opportunity by doing so. And yeah, again, like like they said, it's we've allowed them to do that. You know, people, you know, they, they when they come into your country, they go, oh, you know, the Chinese they bought this and this. It's like, well, hang on, take a step back. It's who's allowed them to come in the first place? Yeah. Who's allowed them to buy that business or take part or or you know invest in this and that? You know, we, mm. there's a saying in Italian, la testa la pesce puzza, which means the head of the fish stinks. You know, and and that's actually how the Italians used to serve the mobsters would serve a business if they want to cut them out or something. You know. Yeah, oh. yeah. So it's, it's quite we, interesting. We could have had a free trade agreement with Britain. Mm. It was Britain or China. And we were like, China mm. sounds great. <laughs> <laughs> I just can't. As <laughs> so. I say in Chinese, wait, Shimabu, why not? <laughs> <laughs> I love yeah. how easily you can swap between languages. It's so impressive. <laughs> My, if I go traveling, I'm like, me and JK will be like, <laughs> Bring, bring Lingo Louie with us. <laughs> Not the first time someone said that. Hey? Like, oh, if I'm going to have a travel buddy, you're coming. Like, you could, we'll just turn the switch with you. Well, I mean, I need it because I, we, we, I went to a wedding in Peru and this was a, a long time ago with an ex and his family. Sorry, Jacob. <laughs> but we, we, we went there for his brother's wedding and he was marrying a Peruvian girl. They'd actually already gotten married in America for her green card and then they went to Peru and had their proper big oh, wedding like wow. a few months later. And it was in this beautiful Catholic church and it was stunning and everyone only spoke Spanish. Mm. No one spoke a lick of English. <laughs> and then we go to the ceremony, we're halfway through, and then people start getting up and speaking. And we ask some, the lady beside us, we're like, oh, what are, what are they doing? What are they doing? She's like, oh, it's speeches, it's speeches. And we're like, okay, perfect. She speaks English. Wonderful. So they had finished talking and we were all sitting there clapping. <laughs> like, yeah. <nice. laughs> what have you said? We don't know what they said, but we were like, sounds wonderful. <laughs> You've got like four Americans, me, like, yeah. Um, and the ceremony, and then, and then the whole church started clapping with us. Yeah, right. So then the whole church starts clapping. So then the next person would get up and they're finished and we'd clap and the whole church would clap. I'm like, perfect, we're nailing this. <laughs> Gets to the end of the ceremony. Everyone walks out and the bride is like, why are you clapping in the prayers? <laughs> <laughs> oh, shit. <laughs> oh, my goodness. <laughs> uh, yeah, and she gave us a funny look, but we didn't know. We were like... Mm, yeah. not ideal but it was yeah it, it does help if you know a few words yeah yeah it does yeah <laughs> and, uh, and like even then you know i mean that's that's the certain point when you really want to understand what's going on in those situations but even just like when you're on the street or you're trying to talk to someone or you know for instance somewhere like in china where they actually use like everything's in just chinese and even the numbers they have their own numbers they don't use roman numerals sometimes and so oh. if you're reading a menu and they don't even have pictures how are you going to communicate to this person that what you want, like, you know, you're hungry or something, but then how do you actually order something that what you want? You know, unless you've got a photo on your phone or something, it's like, oh my goodness, like, how do you, <laughs> how do you get across to that? You know, so there's sometimes there's, there's, there's situations that's so funny. I think as time goes on, I just don't want to visit any 
than any I don't want to visit any place in China. I don't want to mm. go to China. I'm on I'm good. Yeah. I think Japan would be beautiful and I like the organization. Mm, it's amazing. Oh, that yeah. minimalist inside of me is like, yeah, organize it. <laughs> Love it. <laughs> but actually China itself, I'm like, no, thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's 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 quite funny that China. Uh, sorry, Japan actually holds more history than China does of their own country. Wow. To finish med school as a Chinese student, your last year is actually in Japan. Oh, wow. yeah, yeah, yeah. And there's so many other little things like that. For instance, uh, kanji. So this is where people get confused with the languages. Is that Chinese actually gave uh, the Japanese kanji, and they use the traditional one, which comes from the south of China, which they still use today. Like the Cantonese uh, speakers, for instance, from Hong Kong and Taiwan, they still use the traditional ones. Wow. Um, and there's so many other little sim- similarities. There's only a couple words, but it's like speaking Tadeo Māori to English. Like there'll be a couple intertranslated words but they still use you know the roman uh, scripture so same thing as the kanji and the chinese like so when i went there i could read and understand you know like if they didn't have a picture of a toilet there was like the you know um the man and woman i knew which symbol it was and sometimes you just see the foreigners walk into the other one or something like that you know or like <laughs> i just knew like that was like noodles or something like that or whatever or like water or those certain symbols that don't change just sort of the same thing so yeah traveling so much you would have seen a lot of segregation in different areas mm. How is it when you come back to New Zealand? And I know you speak Tadeo fluently, don't you? No, he didn't. No? Okay. <laughs> but I, how do you see it between Maori, Chinese, all the different ethnicities we have here, and Pakeha New Zealand? When you've come and seen a whole lot of segregation around the world, do you think we're doing it right with Hipua Pua and with trying to segregate that way here? Um, we're definitely. Like, no matter where you go, there's always going to be segregation. It's the way that, you know, the whole world's been evolved and the way that we've been propagated into. But we are definitely doing it better than most countries. We are mm. doing – actually, you know what? I'm, I, I, I lie. Well, this is the best because I'll tell you why. The biggest reason I said that what makes us New Zealanders different, which nation in the world actually had to sign a treaty with the people of the land? Yeah. Nobody. Think about it. There is not one nation that I know – that sings a national anthem in that different language too. I mean, there's other ones that, yeah, they sing in multiple languages, but singing that national anthem, they have a party and, and government and, yeah, maybe it's not all working together, but it's better than what other places have. Like, I think the part that worries me is having a whole separate government, a whole separate health system, a whole separate education system. Mm. There isn't a unified country. No. And that's what really worries me. And I don't think it's good to treat people, I don't think it's ever good to segregate people or to treat people as better than others based on the color of their skin and based on their ethnicity. I think it's wrong. Totally. And I think that's where the world keeps going wrong. We keep doing it. Yeah. Everyone says, and I know America's gone through this a lot at the moment, Mm. start treating people exactly the same. Yeah. Stop putting people in a hierarchy above others. Yeah. At all. Yeah. No one should be, and yeah. no one should be treated less than either. That's and it. And I know for Māori and Pacifica, when they get into med school, they can have a grade that's only 70%, whereas everyone else needs, needs over 95. Yeah, right. That is not good. That's no. not good for the health no. of those of those ethnicities that they're going to go back and, and look after either. Yeah. So if it's a Māori doctor goes and looks after Māori, that's more dangerous if they're mm. 20% less than the other doctors that yeah. have gotten through med school off their own backs. I don't think it's good. I don't think it's healthy for anybody. And I don't think it's healthy as a society if we're wanting to move forward. Mm. I think a lot of these policies, they say progressive, but I think it's regressive. Mm. I don't think it helps anyone. No, I think it kicks not. us back. And then trying to create whole separate systems, where does that money come from? Mm. Who's paying for that? Yeah, yeah. Are all the Iwis getting together and putting in their money to do it? Is that mm. how it's working? Or mm. is it all the taxpayers from around New Zealand are funding a whole separate system for 15%? Yeah. 
I think it's wrong. Yeah. I think everyone should be under one. Everyone should compete in the same space. Yeah. Everyone should be educated the same. I, I, it screams of more corruption to me. Totally. Because I, when, when I look at history around the world, people say, oh, it's because this person's white that they've taken this and this person didn't get it. I disagree. Obviously, I'm white, so people will say that I'm biased. But when I look at history, it's the people that are corrupt. Mm. They get what they want out of it. Sure, exactly. So you go into a country... And even if you, you, and you know, even when it comes to land deals and things, it's still the heads that get more money than everyone else. Yeah. It's still the leaders, it's the chiefs, they get the money and mm. everyone else suffers. And then they blame the people that they made the original agreement with as being the problem. Yeah. And to a certain extent, yes, there is some of that where they are the problem, but corruption, I think, is always the main problem. Yeah. It's corruption no matter what your ethnicity is. Totally. If you go into another country, you want something out of them and you're corrupt, corruption is the problem. And we yeah. don't do enough education on the dangers of corruption and especially how it's at the detriment of your entire country. Mm. People aren't taught that and they're not taught to have that moral that moral and value system. Yeah. It's just do whatever you want because you want it and it's all feelings-based. And the problem is people are greedy yeah. and lazy. Mm. Yeah, totally. I mean, it's just a domino effect again. You know, when you allow someone to to do that, they, they do other things. You know, if they think they can get away with something, then it becomes something else, you know. And it's not that, you know, like you said, that 20% difference. It's that difference of like, oh, I only have to achieve to a certain point then I can just get away with, it, with, anything, with anything after that. And that's not the point. The point is trying to achieve your best to do your best and always be the best of yourself, right? So why why go for any less? And mm. that goes for anyone or anything out there. And um, oh, I find it thought. insulting because some of my Māori friends are the most intelligent people I've ever met. Yeah. And I'm like, what you're telling telling young Māori kids is that they don't have to work as hard. They don't have to be as bright because of the colour of their skin. And mm. I think what could be more insulting than that? Mm. I think you're treating people as if they're stupid and they're not. Yeah. They are talented, amazing individuals and mm. you should treat them like that and you should hold them to a standard and you should push them as hard as you can yeah. because everyone should push themselves as hard as they can. Yeah. And we should actually glorify pushing and working hard and mm. achieving rather than I think New Zealand has a tall poppy problem. Yeah. People achieve in America and everyone's so excited and they amp up and they're stoked for them and then here in New Zealand you achieve and people push you back down. Mm. I think it's a problem. Totally. And, you know, I think the minute we start talking about ourselves as white, black or whatever in between, it's just you and me, you know, yeah, um, just th people. Well, that's it. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. You know, they want to talk about kotangitanga, unity, then then live it, you know, be it, breathe it, you know, and, and, and introduce everyone into the same way. And that's mm -hmm. why I love language, because for me, it showed that I'm, I will talk to anyone and anywhere, you know, because there'll be the old time where, you know, I've just looked at the person I guessed, oh, you know, I'm speaking to them and, and Tagalog Filipino, and then he goes, oh, actually, I'm Indonesian. And they go, oh, Bahasa Indonesia, apa kapa, you know, and start speaking to him. And then, like, oh, they, they feel so more included now because they feel like, oh, no, he only just spoke that language, not, not my one, or, mm. you know. And so it's really cool to see that and open that up. And that's what language was was for me because it was the the epiphany was if you go through language, you can you will go through anywhere else. Like you can open up gates, and, and that's what it's done for me. It's cool watching people react to you as well. <laughs> yeah, like earlier today we had coffee mm. and you were speaking back. Was it in uh, Japanese? Japanese, yeah. yeah I, was, I don't want to get that wrong. And <laughs> and yeah, but it was cool. Her face just lit up. Mm. You know, she was so excited, and yeah. you just had this moment together. And it's those beautiful moments that you wouldn't have gotten if you haven't worked so hard and been so diligently and learnt so much. And mm. as you said, you're doing twelve hours a day in lockdown, mm. just learning and absorbing. Yeah. And if anyone had done that over any topic you grow and you get better and well, then you can it. have these amazing moments with people that you wouldn't previously get. Mm, exactly. Mm. Yeah, it's it's all about just 
or I think just trying to better yourself every day and how you can bring that to others. You know, yeah. like that person could have had a really bad day and all of a sudden you're just talking their language, you know, and oh, there's so many situations where, you know, I've stopped uh, fights happen or they've come to me real angrily and I've just spoken, you know, two, three words and they've walked away instead of a, a full-on fight, you know, because mm. you're not going to put fire on fire. You need to use the fire extinguisher on top of the fire, you know. Yeah. Not our favourite thing, but. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, my gosh. Oh, Do we go there? Oh, my go gosh. On. Oh, my gosh. Here. Yeah, here. yeah. <laughs> fire extinguishers will never oh. be the same, I'm telling you. Oh. I don't even want to look at an extinguisher oh. right, after everything we've been yeah. through. I don't know if the guys can pull it up on the screen, but. Yeah. um. Do you want to brief him on what happened or should oh, I brief him? What do you reckon? Like, I'll never, like, I just knew that that point, right, standing by the Fruin Village, that point would be quite powerful sometime. And and seeing them when they came down, I thought should I, I Hold on, to... I'll just brief people oh, yeah. for the, the don't yeah, know totally. what we're talking Sorry, about. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> so on the last day of the Wellington protest, um, we were all there. We were all filming and trying to get, um, trying to show people what was really going on. I mean, we had the proper camera so that people could use it in lawsuits or whatever they needed later, but we also had the live stream going and I think there was maybe about 20,000 people on that live stream at that time which has seemed all right for New Zealand and we were up we the police came in oh here we go so police are annihilating people and yeah you can see them spraying yeah. us with an extinguisher <laughs> so there's that first guy Insane. and then they actually start a second one and then a third guy starts so you are taking this footage yeah watching us being absolutely blasted there we go yeah. second one and then the third one yeah. As they're absolutely blasted us. And we were screaming at him, we can't get down, we can't it's breathe, we there. can't get down. Yeah. And all we were doing is filming. See, when we don't have weapons, they can see our cameras, they know who we are. So we were up there so that we weren't in the parliament grounds, we were standing above, we just wanted to capture the footage. So I know there's a lot of swearing that is used. <laughs> and, and, and look at that guy's badge. I mean, he's got three stars. He's a captain. Now, that's insane. Yeah. And he's throwing, you know, a fire extinguisher, you guys. That's like, I could not believe it. See? And then he's... Boom. Oh, Farmer James. <laughs> so, but we can't get down because it's like, you know, a metre something, like a metre and a half, two metres. Yeah. So we can't just jump because you'd break a leg. Yeah. So this whole time we were just coughing, can't breathe. So Farmer James jumps down. Me and Jacob are still up there. It's my little brother screaming. It was just so dangerous because, I mean, We're like, what, yeah. what if you let go and then you could have fell back and King exactly. hit yourself on the back? Like, it was just crazy. So Dad's, oh, God, I don't even like hearing myself, eh? Yeah. Like, because I'm just, brings me the most horrible memories. I don't even like hearing this. Mm. So my dad was being um, shoved over by the police um, with... The shields and stuff at that point, um, and I didn't know if he was going to be trampled under everyone because, as you guys can see, it's like just a horrible thing. That's crazy. My oh, friend no. was actually linking arms with your dad, uh, oh, Izzy. Really? Yeah, shout oh, out to Izzy. Shout yeah. out to Izzy. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. So we, we were watching my dad being brutalized um, and potentially being trampled as we're just trying to film, and everyone's being just this huge wash of people. It was terrifying to watch. Yeah. And then we start getting sprayed. Um, and it was so bad. We can't breathe. It's all up our nose. It's in your eyes. It's all through your clothes. You can't breathe at all. We're Jacob's shielding me. He's shielding me with his body. They're still going. So I think it was like a minute maybe. I timed it one time. My little brothers. They never told us to jump down. They just started spraying us. Yeah. We're still stuck up there, still not down yet. And then he, he goes again. So then the second guy starts. <laughs> I mean, I was pretty pent up at that point, yeah, eh? Yeah. Wow. And so then this is Jacob's camera, I think, this angle. 
people say that the protesters are violent, but then look at how the police are just actually trampling on people. Yeah. And then look how they grab this this person out of there, those those recent cops in there. See, yeah. there I am. Yeah, that's fuzzy. Yeah, so you're right on the other pole filming as well. Yeah. Yeah, I just couldn't believe it. Like with my own eyes, I was literally holding that, that GoPro and then my phone living and I'm just, my jaw was just dropping going, is this actually here? Like is this, this is country? This is, this is New Zealand. Like, I've seen that tyranny in other countries, but seeing that here, I was like, this is, no. Nah. It no. felt like a whole different world, yeah. didn't it? And especially Goosebumps. when we just got cameras. Yeah. 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 Like yeah. we're not trying to throw anything. We're not in the middle. No. We're just holding cameras. Yeah. And they just didn't want any media showing what they right. were doing to people. I think they just wanted to be able to get away with it. And yet we're the misinformation, but they still used our footage on their pages. Yeah. Yeah. The Herald had linked my live stream. And mm. did he link did they link yours as well? Um, stuff took like I think about like six or seven videos of mine. Um, yeah. And then they just like utilized it for that. It's like if I'm such a misinformation person, then why have you taken all, all my footage. stuff? Yeah. 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 Oh. And then one more pe- person. Oh, is this my this is my brother, my little brother. He never gets angry, so for him to be <laughs> screaming. Yeah. Funny story. So he was at the gym. In Wellington, he lives in Wellington. He's he wasn't you know at the protest or anything. He was at the gym, and something said and something said to him. He just felt that he had to go to the protest right then. Mm. So he jumped on his phone, looked at where we were, raced down just in time to help us with the cameras get off that pole. And then he I helped get he grabbed a mask and managed to jump to Dad and um get it to some other guy that handed it to Dad. Yeah, James was such a blessing. He honestly was because with Jake filming and me filming. It was scary, you know, like we didn't know what was happening and there were a lot of characters around that day, as I know you know as well, towards Mm. the end it was crazy. So being able to have Farmer James there, like keeping an eye out when we couldn't, Mm. yeah. Yeah, Gosh, heavy, eh? It was, eh? And then seeing that after you were there and I was like, no, I've got to stay here. And when when I stood there, they eventually went all in and it was just me and this other lady behind me and I was like, oh my gosh, what do I do now? Like, you know, I'm <laughs> stuck in there just like, and the, 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 the guy who grabbed the second fire extinguisher, he looked at me and he's just like, get him. And I was just like, oh my gosh. And they're trying to get me off from the, from the, from the top of it because wow. it was so high. I, I, they try to grab my feet and stuff. And I'm looking like, what do I do? Just jump down and just like take him down and then run through because they're looking the other way or something. But yeah. your ego is just going crazy because, you know, you're just seeing everything. You're just so angry and you want to, you know, you know, and it's just like, no, hang on, stop, pause and breathe. And I kid you not, three nights before that on the Sunday evening, I had a dream that police were surrounding me. And every time I tried to fight it, they would like be on top of me and I couldn't move. And I was just like getting stuck. And the minute I wanted to jump, they would fly off and I kept jumping over them. And I kid you not, on the platform, I'm going to have to show you the, the photo. And there's a, the the other platform part I could actually jump towards. And well, I just saw I'm, it. I'll demonstrate, right? So oh, it's kind of like this, hey. Yeah, 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 yeah. Like yeah, there's yeah, the tall yeah, pillar yeah, that you're yeah. standing on, pillar, and there's a yes. short one about here, and yes. there's a little rail fence. I'm gonna do the height difference is about that. Yeah, yeah. So you had to jump between between those two. Yeah. yeah, and it was just like, oh, if I do this, I might break my leg. But I rather, you know, I'm not gonna waste my 23 days worth of like just footage and yeah. and, and and everything of just just trying to get get my ego back because of you know they've hit my friends and whatever. Like this yeah. is not gonna do it. And I almost went over. And I jumped through the bushes and I turned around and I've seen the officer and he's just like, like the mask and then the other one's behind him. And I'm just like, yeah, fuck you, man. Like, no way. Like this is, I was just losing the plot. And then I just seen them slowly grab the, the lady and they pretend to be all nice. And then they threw her on the ground and they just arrested her. And I was like, wow, that could have been me. Yeah. That could have been me as well. Like, i got to keep going. This is, this is nuts. I like, they're going to like fully just have a personal vendetta. So then I ended up jumping on the other side, but it just was, it oh, was heavy, eh? that it was, was the so heaviest heavy. moment that part there that was really really crazy and then another one was it was real crazy because the three moments that were just really intense was the other one was um uh when i put a uh, there was a fire burning you know i can't believe they started the fires like like you said these people 
everyone knew each other. We've been there for 23 days. We yeah. know who was there. No one wore masks. Yeah. Who were these thugs? There were sunglassed up, hoodies, hats, whatever, bandanas, mm. masked up, like starting fires and all that. And you're just thinking, Do you know what I find is- interesting? The police are like, oh, we've got two people that are arrested for starting fires. I'm like, there were way more than that. And when I was filming the live, I zoomed in on all their tattoos. Mm. There were a lot of people they could have identified from that. Yeah. yeah. And they didn't. Yeah. So I'm like, yeah, it's very weird. I totally agree with you. Totally. And they were all wearing blue. A lot of them had some blue piece of clothing. Yes. Which just seemed random. Like they were yeah. easy to identify each other. Yeah. But earlier footage we got, they would run in, the same people, mm. run in, throw like a chair or a stove or something insane yeah. into the police and then run away. Yeah, so you had all yeah. the people peacefully holding the line that would then get attacked and abused by the police yeah. because one person had run up from the behind nowhere, yeah. thrown something and disappeared. Mm. I mean, I mean, I managed to grab a few things off this guy. One guy was like, fighting me as I was like pulling like a, a stovey thing off and it was like a stovetop. I was like, no, <laughs> because I'm like, you. we were just filming, but you're creating all this drama for mm. all those people that are holding peacefully. Like yeah. that's not fair. No, not you don't get to like get them hurt and injured for exactly. your own ego. Yeah. But, but again, I don't, I don't think it was ego. I genuinely think there were people, they might not, and I, I'm not saying they're paid by the government. They could just be people that are in a gang that just decide to stir up some drama. Right. We don't know. We yeah. can't. We can't say that they would definitely. Yeah. Um, I mean, I know Antifa had posted on their Facebook page, being like, "We did do that," but they could have been Antifa. I, th- I thought they were at the time, but yeah. again, they could have been just part and part of a gang that decided to stir mm. up some drama. We don't know, but what we do know is it was not the people that were there for twenty three days. Definitely not. Yeah, they were definitely just a bunch of hooligans that just wanted to have fun and just you know, take the piss out of it. Because, I mean, when when would you have an opportunity like that, right? They, yeah. they can just go and, you know, attack police and do whatever. It's just it's crazy. Yeah. And so they, they made the most out of it, eh? And, and there was that one point where there was a fire closer to the beehive by the steps and where the part goes down where the veggie garden was. Oh, yeah. And there was a massive fire and they were waiting for it to cool down. And I remember grabbing this teddy bear. And putting it in front of them. And I'm like, see what you've done? You destroy children's homes. How do you feel about that? And I've, the, my photo that I've taken, you can see the cops turning the other way like that. Mm. And there's a photo of me taking a photo and everyone watching and standing there. It was really oh. intense there. Yeah, that was like crazy. It's yeah. just sad, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. It's sad. Mm. And I, I, I remember just repeating over and over, Jacinda wanted this. She got what she wanted. She wanted this more than she wanted a conversation. Yeah. She didn't once try to have a conversation with anyone. She didn't even once be like, hey, is there one person, yeah. one person that can come in, let's have a chat, let's try to de-escalate. Yeah. It was not about de-escalation. Yeah. Not well, that, at all. Of course not. I mean, she could have had all that police surrounding that one person at the at the, at the cabinet meeting or whatever, you yeah. know what I mean? Like, why? you know, you've got, what, 600 cops. Why didn't they all surround this one person if you, if you didn't think you didn't trust them or, you know, yeah. pat oh, them down it, or something, the, you know? They like, easily could have. They just didn't want to. No. Nah. Even from the balcony, you could yeah. have, you know, you had all your media there. You could have stood there, you know? You could have just had a sound system. Good times. Oh. Hey, thank you, Louis. Thank you for everything you did that day and for capturing that footage because it allowed us to show that there were actually three people blasting us as well. So there's now yeah. an official complaint in for excessive use of force against media. So that'll be good. So we'll see what yeah. comes out of that. But yeah. appreciate you. Appreciate you spending all the time to educate us on the CCP and yeah. everything you've been through. But thank you're you. a gun. Keep going. <laughs> keep going. Thank you. Yeah, um, yeah. And for anyone that wants to go and follow Lingo, you can find him on his Instagram, Facebook. Yeah. Where else are you? Telegram? Uh, YouTube. YouTube's YouTube? my biggest one. Yeah, um, yeah, cool. yeah, Telegram as well. But um, yeah, check it out. Um, the, awesome. the whole channel is twisting now, and it's um, yeah, it's gonna be awesome. Cool, yeah, yay, yeah, yeah. love it. Yeah, All thank right. you, thank yeah, you. Yeah. <laughs> That's a wrap for the Chantal show here on Reality Check Radio, and I want to leave you with a lasting thought. You've heard what it's like when we don't fight for our rights. 
We need to fight for them before this election harder than we've ever fought before. But what does fighting look like? To me, fighting looks like convincing others and showing them what is right and what is wrong in time. That's the fight that we're trying to, that we're trying to accomplish. It's not a physical one. It's a psychological fight. It's the battle for people's minds because the media and this government want to control you, want to tell you not to trust anyone, not to like anyone, that everyone's a terrible, horrible, no good person that disagrees with any policy that this radical government tries to push forward. And they're wrong and they're misleading people. And if you want to restore New Zealand back to the beautiful, trusting, loving, incredible country that we all know it is, you've got four to five months to try and fight for that before this election. So good luck. I wish everybody the best. I wish all parties the best because at the end of the day, it's up to the public to decide what they want and all we can do is try and battle and show them what we believe to be the truth. Have a wonderful weekend. Enjoy your time. And if you want to tune in to Leighton's announcement tomorrow, head to Leighton Baker on Facebook. All the best, everybody. Signing off. The Chantal Show here on Reality Check Radio. RCR with Chantal Baker. Reality Check Radio.